just meditate on his goodness. Do you know, it's almost like, <sighs> close the book, sit down, and let's just stay in this place. Just, just, Jesus here. Just imagine what it must have been like to sit with Jesus. Let's imagine. Out on the mountainsides with the disciples. Um, and they're just having time together. And Jesus had a busy day and he's been chatting and sharing things and they go off and, and they just sit there and they're, they're eating the fish and the bread. And they're just sitting and Jesus isn't saying anything. He's eating. And then he, he looks up. He's kind of deep, deep, just drawing on God. And he's exhausted, perhaps. He's eating his fish and then, oh, I can't. <laughs> Chokes me up. <sighs> he just looks. He looks up at you. He doesn't say a word. But love is in his eyes. The whole of heaven is just washing over you. The love of the Father. And in his eyes and in his heart, knowing he had to go to the cross. He could hold the disciples, could embrace them, could hug them and say, I love you. You've been with me. You're, you're good buddies. But I can't have you yet. You're not mine yet. He had to go to the cross. That's, it's a bit overwhelming for me. I don't like to think about it too much and the grief of it all. And I think it happened once in time. It was very time limited. It was... Jesus is absolutely delightfully alive and not suffering. Now, that's why, really, crucifixes shouldn't have Jesus on it. Because he ain't there anymore. Praise God. So, that wasn't the preach, but you can take that for free anyway. Um, that was the... Uh, anyway, the preamble. Um, so, let's just pray and say, Father, we... We have enjoyed and are grateful for our time in your presence. It's great to focus on you. It's great to sing truth. And thank you, Rob, for leading us and being sensitive and just knowing the song to bring. Um, so thank you. Yeah, Father, we, we just ask you now, as, as we look at your word, we're asking you to open our eyes. We pray to, to eat well. Lord, that we'll be fed, we'll receive something of truth that can hold the promise, can hold the, the sense of your presence as we move forward. And I ask you, Lord, just enable me not to go on and on and to be to the point, not go off at tangents. And to share what you want to be shared, Lord, that this can be food for us this week, Lord. Um, in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. So. Did you know that you, John Casey, and everybody else around, are a history maker? Yes. You know that. Alice, you are a history maker. You are. Is that? You are too. Do you know, we all are history makers. Whether we like it or not, what kind of history are we making? Ooh, is it good? Is it bad? Hmm. But we all have a destiny in God to be history makers that make a difference. 
to make an impact, to leave this world a better place because of us, because of me. I can leave a ripple behind me that's a ripple of blessing, a ripple of good things, a ripple of encouragement, a ripple of whatever it might be. We are all history makers. You know Bernardo? Heard of him? Wilberforce? Yeah? Shaftesbury? Yeah? Do you know what? I don't believe, well, I don't think they knew that they were being history makers. I don't think they realised the impact that their conviction to action was having. But they're now household names because of their legacy, what they achieved. And I believe in our nation there are such people today creating things of great impact. We may know them, okay? But I'm talking about you guys, all right? You are history makers. You can make a difference. Don't exclude yourself. Remember the widow with two mites? She made history. I bet she didn't think she was making history. But my goodness, those two mites made history because of what she did with them. That tiny little thing made a difference. Okay, so tuck that away. All right, we're going to jump into Exodus. Anybody got a Bible with them? Hallelujah, there's three people. Four. Any more? Any, any advance on four? Four, four, four. Are we going? Going a five. I see it. I see. Yes, I see that one. Okay. Right. Exodus 2, verse 1 to 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, as wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was, beautiful, he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. If you don't know the story, Pharaoh had uh, issued an edict or a law to say that all the Hebrew children that were being born, were to, all the male Hebrew children should be slaughtered. And so Moses' mum was aware of this and so she decided she needed to hide the child. She couldn't bear to think that this would happen to him. She saw he was a beautiful child. There's no excuse to say, well, I'll keep this one or I'll keep the other. But she did something about it. She took action. And that's why we see this rather unusual story. Okay, so 
jump into verse 11 with me. It says, Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brothers and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. Stop. Pause. I just want to point out that between verse 10 and verse 11 is quite a long time. Okay? Maybe 15 years. Who knows? But it's a long time in terms of my life. It's a big chunk. And sometimes we feel like we're in those bits in the Bible where there's nothing written about it. And what happened? And I want to take you to Moses' mum for a bit. I wonder, how did she cope in this time? She saw the child was beautiful. And it was a miracle, wasn't it? They ended up back with her as a baby. That's just, just wonderful, isn't it? That's just God. And she was able to nurse him and she would have grown even more attached to him. And then the day came when she had to, we don't know if he was a toddler, if he'd weaned or what. But he'd grown and she had to give him up to Pharaoh's daughter as a son. Did she ever see him again? We don't know. It doesn't say. I don't think it says. We really don't know. And we don't hear about Pharaoh's mum, uh, Pharaoh's mum, Moses's mum again. But I wonder what she went through. What would she be doing? She'd be praying for him. Oh, God, bless him. <coughs> God, look after him. God, I pray that you would take care of him. God, I pray one day I'll see him. Miriam, Miriam, that was Moses' sister. Go to the palace. See if you can see him. See if you can find out about him. Years. Imagine the pain, the anguish. And incidentally, she was a history maker, wasn't she? She could have thought, oh no, the law of the land has come. All the male children are going to be taken and killed. I have no option. I have no hope. Nothing can happen. Oh no, give up. But did she? You can answer that. No, she didn't. She didn't. She did something about it. She was driven. She thought, I can't, I can't, I can't. He looks so precious. He's beautiful. Love drove her to do something. To believe for something other than what circumstance was saying. She refused to concede what was hers. So let's look then at verses 15 to 11. Verses 15 to 11. That's a very interesting way of looking at them. But let's try 11 to 15. Should I make any other mistakes like that? I haven't spotted. Just point it out, will you? I feel a bit spoonerizy today. Um, so let's read on. So we read 11. He finds one day he's grown grown man and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And clearly Moses knows his heritage. He knows he is a Hebrew. He knows he's not an Egyptian. So Moses looked this way and that. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, 
Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, oh, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. The matter became known. And I think Moses' mum heard too. And all her prayers over the years, praying for him, longing to see him again, longing to be reunited, longing to say, Moses, I'm your mum. I'm mum. Do you ever watch those programmes? Who do you think you are? I cannot stop crying when I watch those. It is just so like, ah, when they meet their long lost daughter or long lost child or long lost brother or sister. And there's something in that. Here's an aside. You can get this one. We're allowed it. There is something incredible about family. God created and ordained family. And there is something, I can't even put it into words, some intrinsically powerful thing that joins families together, no matter how broken up they are, no matter how dysfunctional they may be. We are family. We are fam. Sorry, couldn't resist that one. But family is amazingly powerful. Cherish it. Cherish and nurture it. Um, and I'll get back to where I was. So, Moses' mum hears that Moses has committed murder. Oh no, he's broken one of the commandments. No, but they hadn't been written by then. But anyway, imagine the devastation. <sighs> He's had to flee. I'll never get to see him again. All is lost. How devastating it must have been for her. She knew he was now a man on the run. It's like, God, God, I, I, I felt that I was almost within grasp of, of receiving my son back and having the opportunity. Now he'd got his freedom as a young man. And now what must she have thought? I'll never see him again. You know, the voice of circumstance. <laughs> Why do I cry at my own words? <sighs> the voice of circumstances can shout. But God's word is louder. Hmm. Like Kate was saying, when we sing truth, it dictates to circumstances, hang on, this is truth. This is truth. What's in here is truth. And you know what? We know the end of the story and what Moses achieved. And it says that he was the, the humblest man on the face of the earth. Something like that. I can't remember entirely. He was a remarkable man. Now, Moses' mum, we don't know whether she ever got to see the fulfillment and the answer. We know the end of the story. So we could have said, it's all right, Mrs. Moses' mum. It's fine. Don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll turn out fine in the end. But she didn't know that. Okay. And likewise for us, in our places of between verse 10 and 11, when nothing's written for, let's say, 20 years Nothing's recorded. We don't know. You might feel like, I'm in that place. I don't know where I am. Well, I can't hear God. And it's all quiet. 
The story hasn't ended yet. Remember, the story isn't over. So be encouraged. Remember what the truth says and strengthen yourself. We need to be reminded in the hard times that the story isn't over. Okay, let's jump into the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says a wonderful thing. It's a little bit of a book, but it's around the T's. Timothy and Thessalonians. And it says, when I get it. Oh no, he's moved. Come back. There it is. Um, what did I just say? Who remembers what I said? Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Memory verse. Okay. Um, what is it again? Um, faithful is he who calls us. And he also will bring it to pass, or in various ways. Faithful is he who calls us, and he also will bring it to pass. And we are praying earlier today, and I remembered the verse. I, Jesus said, I know you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you to go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last. You know, sometimes we take over, don't we? And we forget, actually... No, hang on, boys. No, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I'm the boss. Stop trying to work it out. I chose you. Relax. 2 Timothy 1.12. I just feel this one. Let's just turn over a couple of pages or so. Um, this is, I just feel is so rich because of who wrote it. Who wrote this book? No, it wasn't Timothy. Paul, yeah. Excuse me. Paul wrote this book, and he said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, how about that? Nevertheless, like, oh, so what about all the trauma, the chains, the prison, the dungeon? It, nevertheless, it doesn't matter. Forget that. That's, that's not important. I mean, whoa, what a place to be. Ha! Huh, that's amazing. But what does he say? Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Now, it's like, what is he saying? He's saying, basically, I have entrusted my life to Jesus Christ. I have given all to him. I have surrendered. We sang that song today. We surrender all. Now, Jesus is very gracious when we take half of it back. When we feel like we need to just have a little bit back, please, Lord, because I really don't think you're making a very good job of this. I think I know what to do here. Wrong. Paul had the confidence to say, I know the one I've trusted this to. He is sorting it out. He will make things good. He will do it. Faithful is he who calls us and he will bring it to pass whatever that might be. You can say hallelujah, thank you Jesus, and amen if you wish. But I tell you, you get more when you do. So how can we confidently say those things? 1 John 5, 4. 
You may well know it. It seems to be ingrained in my brain. I love it. It's, it's one of these like, you know the truth. It's my brick I stand on. Has anybody found it? Would anybody like to read out that verse? And you can have the microphone. You can have power. Kate, you're there with it. You haven't got it? You've got a notebook. Okay. Do you know, at Sunday schools used to do sword practice. I didn't, but some people used to. Sword practice was, was get your Bible out, find the verse as quick as you can. Who's first? Right? But look, come on, guys. Anybody found it yet? Has anybody found John Budge. Um, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Amen. Did you get that? This that we are doing today, if you like, representing our faith, representing our choice in life somewhere years ago when we took a decision. We turned to the cross and said, Jesus, I'm following you. I choose. That is the victory that overcomes the world. Because the world does not bow the knee to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. This world and all its trappings will peter out, will fade away. But the kingdom will last forever. And because we chose to do that and surrender to the eternal kingdom, we overcome the world. Now, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think about your state of life at the moment. The fact is you are an overcomer. It says it here. You are an overcomer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you've overcome because you have made the ultimate decision. You've switched from the domain of the world that is corrupted and you have come into the eternal everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ and all who believe in him. Oh, come on. Glory to God. Ooh, a victory that overcomes the world. You know, verse five, let's just have a little peep. Sorry, I wasn't, I hadn't found it and I was saying who's found it and I hadn't found it. Let me have a peep. First John. Sorry, wrong chapter. <laughs> okay, there. there we go. I knew it was on that side of the page. Verse 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe. Do you know how simple it is? That's all God's asking. To believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And that's the entrance, that's the doorway, that's the place we step into. Out of a corrupted life, into a life of possibility, into being history makers, into being the people with a destiny and a hope. Simply because you make, uh, because you believe. But there are times when we need to fight. Between verse 10 and verse 11 of Exodus 2, there was probably many times when Mrs. Moses' mum had to really fight and just, I trust you, God. I trust you with my little one. I had to fight. 
And the way she fought was to take bulrushes and weave them into a basket and to get some tar and cover it so that it was waterproof. She took action. She did something. She fought for that son whom she loved. Let's jump into Nehemiah because he had to fight as well. Now, Nehemiah is round about the middle of the Bible. And it's a wonderful story if you've never read it. It's about rebuilding the walls. Oh, a piece of paper was in there all the time. Chapter 4. Now, I just have to thank Steve Blacker for reminding me about this verse. Because it's really cool. And it speaks to us that we are in a war. We are in a battle. We are in a fight. But remember the victory's won, okay? But it is challenged. And you'll never know the strength of something until it's challenged. So you might wonder, why is everything going wrong? Well, one, we have an enemy. And two, it's got to be tested. It's got to be, how rigorous is this? Does it need strengthening? And in Hebrews somewhere or other, six, I think, or maybe 11 probably, that's the heroes of faith, talks about those being strengthened in the battle. Sometimes you can only be strengthened in the battle. So, what does it say? Um, right, so they're in the middle of rebuilding the walls. There's opposition, there's discouragers and challenging things that come against us. Um, so, verse 13 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah says, Therefore, this is Nehemiah speaking, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. These were the things that they had. Maybe not much else, but they had to fight for them. And the interesting thing is, you don't read, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't read anywhere where they had to lift their sword and bow. But they were ready. And the thing was, they were ready in here. They didn't need to go... But they were ready in here. And it's often it's in here where we do the fighting. This is where we make the stand. It's like where Moses' mum had to decide, no, I'm going to take action. I'm going to do this to save him. And it's that attitude that we are to carry with us to say no to something that is less than, to the things that are robbing, coming against us. What is it that you need to fight for? I'll just give you a little, for instance, um, these glasses <laughs> I had to fight for slightly, but I could have not bothered. Okay, so um, they're a new, well, they're not a new frame. I like the frames, okay, but they're new lenses. And if anybody has been to the opticians, you know how darned expensive it can be. And uh, I got two pairs. I managed the separate um, prescriptions and I managed to lose the other pair. So I had to get another pair. Fortunately, I was still within the 30 days to get a second pair of those, a cheaper rate. Thank the Lord. I, that's, anyway, don't go down there. Um, and then 
We go, and this is like, we're in a battle. Blinking it, we're in a battle. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was what's called the ELA, European Leaders Advance Conference in Harrogate. And Corinne and I were planning to go. We had tickets, da 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 So we go along. First evening, Tuesday night, great. I take my reading glasses with me and put them in the pocket. We walk from the car up to the conference centre, find a seat, sit down, have time of worship. Wonderful, wonderful. Listen to the preach. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? There wasn't much jumping about up and down for them to have gone, but my glasses disappeared. I was under the chair looking, hunting, couldn't see. Where are my glasses? I do not know. I then became very ill and was very, very unwell for a number of days. So we didn't get to any more of the conference. There was robbery. I want restitution. There's a law of restitution in the word. God can restore things. I don't know how, but he can restore. Anyway, I then texted Kathy Kelly because she was there. I said, would you mind checking lost property to see if my glasses are there? She checked lost property. No sign of my glasses. Okay. I thought, give it up as a bad job. They're gone. Never mind. Anyway, about a week later, I was at work and I thought, do you know what? I'm going to ring Harrogate. I'm going to ring the conference centre and speak to them. So I rang up and said, oh, I was at conference, da, 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 and I lost my glasses, da, 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 da. I just wondered if you have had them handed in. And she said, oh, well, just have a look. Um, no. Ah. But let me take your details then if you, well, I said, okay, fair enough. So I gave her my number and my name. And that was that. Guess what? Three days later, bleep, bleep. I missed the call, actually. But um, they found my glasses. Now, that's a, just a little pathetic-ish little story. But I could have just not bothered and forked out a load of dosh to get another pair of glasses. But I didn't. I did something. I, it was actually a Holy Ghost prompt. I just thought, oh, I'll just ring the centre. I was actually thinking about restitution at the time as well. I'm thinking, this isn't on. This is not on. I want my glasses back. And so now, praise God. And I'm going to look after them, honest, Corinne. I will really look after them. In fact, I need to wear them. Um, so, and another, I just give you this little, this is just weird, but amazing. And let it provoke you. Um, I advertised the trampoline that we have because Katie's now grown it, really, um, to sell it. If anybody wanted it, it, it was well old and da 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 And I stuck it on Gumtree, if you've heard of that. It's a free website to advertise. And somebody contacted me ages later saying, do you still have the trampoline? I say, this is text messaging. It's ridiculous. We're batting back and forth. And she's trying to tell me that, do I have a bit of it? And I'm thinking, oh, sorry, which bit do you mean and we're having this nonsensical conversation by text so anyway I eventually ring her and she tells me the story that at Christmas time they bought their daughter an eight foot plum which is the name of the um, company trampoline for their daughter but they didn't actually have a garden to put it in fine um, but now they've moved to a place where they have a garden and it's big enough to fit this eight foot trampoline so I thought great but she said when we got it out to assemble it one of the leg extensions doesn't have any holes in it so you can't screw it together so just imagine the frustration of that one piece out of all the pieces and it's got no holes in you can't put 
These poor little girls really looking forward to it. And then all of a sudden, Mom, I can't trample my trampoline. And I've been waiting six months. That must be an eternity for a child that age, however old she was, is. And this lady explained to me that she had gone on the Plum website, she had hunted through Google and all sorts of things, and she'd then gone on Gumtree, and she'd found my advert, and she needed to check, and I'd actually advertised it with the name Eight Foot Plum Trampoline. And there it was. So she was like, wow, I found somebody with one, da-di-da-di-da. I think she'd have bought the whole thing, actually, but I just thought, for goodness, I just have that piece, it's fine. Um, but the point I'm making is, I, don't even, I have no idea where she stands in faith. She, she struck me as a very salt-of-the-earth Yorkshire girl from Leeds who wouldn't ever have countenanced the door of a church or anything. But she had persistence. She'd forked out 100 quid, which would have been a complete waste of time, but she was not going to give up. And I... I uh, I'll give you another example, which actually I was saving for another preach, but I might share it again. Who knows the hairy bikers? Yeah. Well, Cy King is the one with the beard, isn't it? Um, I know. <laughs> I'm sure it's Simon. Um, yeah, because the other guy calls him Kingy. Kingy. Hey, Kingy. Yeah, it was about that. Anyway, so his sister... Bear in mind, not a Christian family, not a church family. His sister contracted polio. And his dad said, no daughter of mine isn't going to walk. No daughter of mine isn't going to work. And he would take her down to the beach and walk her up and down, up and down for weeks and weeks until she regained strength. And she ran a marathon. Why am I saying that? It's because if ordinary people can persevere and bring breakthrough, how much more can you and I, with the promises of God, bring change to our circumstances and situations? Come on, guys. He's rooting for us. So how can we stand in the hard times? How can we make a difference? How can we keep believing when God seems quiet? Well, I've given a few hints already this morning. We believe the truth. We stand on his truth. We hold these promises. We get it up and say, I'm singing truth. I'm singing truth. For I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to keep. I don't know how that goes, but it's something like that. But somebody, yeah, you know it. Over to Riz. No, 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 no. The prayer of agreement, okay? Pray and agree. It's powerful. Remain in unity. There's power in unity. Just stay in unity with one another. Stand with each other. Check up on one another. How are you doing? How's it going? All right, well, I can pray. I can pray. Encourage one another. It's not a hard thing. Just smile. Share your need. How can I stand with you if I don't know you need standing with? 
unless God tells me, which he may do. But be open. Say, hey, oh, just come and pray for me, will you? Just pray for me. What do you want to pray? Oh, I don't know. Just pray. It's one of those <clears throat> feelings. I just need God. This is how we fight. This is where we look at our lives and think, hang on a minute, that's robbery. I'm not having it. God, I don't have a clue how we're going to see that change. But remember when Joshua faced the armies? God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. We're looking to you. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who knows. He understands. He will speak to us. And if he doesn't speak, it's because he's already spoken to us. So he might just be saying, ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds us of things. Amen. Holy Spirit, can you just remind me of a few things? Just go quiet. He's great at reminding us. You lose something, pray. Holy Spirit, you know where it is. Remind me where I put it. So, we all have a calling and a destiny in God to make a difference however big or however small. And in our journeys, we need to fight. We prepare our hearts and we stand shoulder to shoulder with one another. Stand together. It's the way we do it. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen. We are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.